This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. As the child of medical professionals, I've heard countless stories about unique patients, surgeries, and emergency room visits. When discussing the intensity of dealing with life or death situations, my family has expressed an inner conflict between staying emotionally connected and open to one's patients and protecting themselves from the potential trauma associated with medical emergencies. The ability to walk this fine line is a quality I greatly admire about them and indeed all medical providers. This week's story from teller Geneva Norman gets at both the need for and the difficulty of personal connection in medicine. Recorded live at Haymarket Pub and Brewery in Chicago in March, 2023, Second Story is proud to present Silencio. Silencio Están durmiendo Los nardos Y las azucenas Silence. The flowers are sleeping. Did you ever think of people the way you think of flowers? They are beautiful and yet sometimes very fragile and dependent upon our care and attention to survive. I was the oldest medical student in my class. In fact, I was the oldest medical student in the entire College of Medicine. Many things happened around that time. My house burned to the ground. My father died. My mother had a stroke and then she died. So compared to my classmates, I didn't have a lot going for me except one thing. I was already a registered nurse practitioner, so I could work. Of course, working was roundly discouraged by the college. However, staying alive carried a little more weight in my book. So work I did. I was pretty organized with it too. Up at 6 a.m., class from eight to one, work from two to six, cook and study from seven to midnight. I worked for healthcare agencies, traveling all over the Chicagoland area. This was nearly an impossible feat since I have literally no sense of direction. <laughs> One such difficult to reach area was Humboldt Park, quite a distance as I was traveling all the way from a far north area. I don't mean the north side of Chicago, we're talking about way north, past Winnetka. To complicate things further, Humboldt Park is a predominantly Hispanic population. Many times the families there did not speak a single word of English. So getting at a patient's problems was not always easy. But if I needed help, I learned how to call for Maria. There was always a Maria nearby. 
who at least spoke some English. Over time, I kind of grew on them and they definitely grew on me. On one occasion, I was given a 40-year-old severely diabetic male patient. The record said that he lived alone. So I found it unusual that there were toys all over the badly worn uh, lawn, more dirt than lawn, a big wheel bike, and some dolls were scattered around, as well as a well-used wagon. I had come now for the second time, but no patient was there. So I advised the agency that I would not be able to go back again. I just didn't have that kind of time to waste. The next week, of course, they asked me to go back. But this time they assured me that the patient would be there. So I traveled the long, circuitous, confusing distance back to the house in Humboldt Park again. I walked over the worn grass, past the toys, and onto the porch. I expected no answer, when to my surprise, a lovely Latina opened the door. Jose Gonzalez, please. I was wondering who this lady was to the patient who supposedly lives alone. Lo siento, senora. No hablo inglés. Words which translated to me as, you're going to be late getting home again. She barely speaks English and I barely speak Spanish. In my limited Spanish, I said, Tengo que revisar su nivel de azúcar en la sangre. I have to check his blood sugar today. Finally, she let me in. Well, the house was bare bones, no carpet, only two chairs and badly scuffed wooden floors. A small table sat in the dining room with a high chair. A high chair? There was a door to another room off from the living room and the Latina checked to make sure it was closed several times. Soon, Mr. Gonzalez appeared. I scolded him a little for not being available and reminded him that being homebound was a condition of his care. He advised me that he too spoke little English. Just accept it, Geneva. You are never going home. <laughs> I pointed to my glucometer. I have to check your blood sugar, azúcar. Thankfully, he consented and I performed the dastardly deed to get blood. First, carefully putting the drop of blood on my test strip. I asserted it into the machine and I waited patiently for the results. Three minutes later, I discovered that his blood sugar was 386. 386. Normal blood sugar is 80 to 100. 
Are you taking your medicine? No, I could not buy it. I have no job. I have no money. You have to go to the ER because you have to have insulin now. No, senora, I cannot pay. Soon I discovered that he was undocumented. So no assistance was available to him. I took his prescription and filled it with the little money I had. Within a few weeks, we got his blood sugar under control and I felt victorious. By now, when I arrived, they opened the door for me and greeted me warmly. On one of these visits, the always closed door in the living room cracked open. I saw a shocking scene. 10 or 12 little children sitting cross-legged in a circle on the floor. A woman was with them, signaling them to be quiet. Cayete. What in the world is going on here, I demanded, as I pushed the door open with my foot. Now everyone was rushing up to me, almost singing a cacophony of please, Signora, Signora, por favor, Signora. The following months were filled with examining children. I discovered that they were not in school because they had not had their immunizations. They couldn't get their immunizations because their parents were undocumented. Soon I was the cartel queen pen for diphtheria, pertussis and tetanus vaccines, also known as the notorious DPT shots. In a relatively short period of time, everyone was immunized and in school. Still, there seemed to be a new group of undocumented patients every time I went back, all in need of help. And all led by the omnipresent Maria. Thankfully, Mr. Gonzalez was managing his diabetes well with insulin. It felt great to be able to go home at a reasonable hour too, so I could do the work I really came to do. I loved Chicago and all was well in my very structured, very orderly world and my secret newfound patient population was on its way to good health. So when the agency, so when the agency called, again and said that I needed to go see Mr. Gonzalez, I was a bit surprised. The report was that he had not gone back to see his doctor. I had a big histology exam coming up and I was in no mood to have Mr. Gonzalez not keeping his appointments again. So I dashed down there with little time to spare. Same scenario, toys on the lawnless lawn, but no kids, door shut tight. Maria, 
she came to the door with a frightened look on her face. Why are you scared of me? Am I not still Geneva, who, by the way, is about to flunk her histo exam? I said without speaking a word. Senora, come in. Where is Jose? Senora, se muerto. Well, where is he? He missed his appointment and I already told him that if he is required to go and if he didn't, I could not keep coming here and taking care of him and these children and all. Senora, he died. My mind raced back <clears throat> to my first day in this community. Wasn't it big of me to help them? I was proud of myself for helping them with my big, busy, busy school life. Good, kind <clears throat> Geneva. Well, here's what really happened. I was introduced to this incredible community through my work with a man named Mr. Gonzalez, who could not sustain his life with medication that the rest of us have taken for granted for decades. He couldn't keep himself alive for lack of money and because he was undocumented. The children got to go to school with the smallest bit of help from me. Help that is an entitlement to children whose parents were born in America. Parents, not ancestors. Because if it had been based on their native ancestry, they would have been vaccinated first because they were here first. I was so focused on my work and my own overwhelming needs that I failed to see that the real beneficiary was me. Me, the newly motherless, newly fatherless, newly homeless, and husbandless, mother of two, the oldest and least economically fortunate medical student in a sea of wonderfully talented young medical students with far more resources than me. This Latinx community welcomed me, <clears throat> they trusted me, they created the only space where I felt entirely relaxed and useful. And did I mention they cooked for me? Pozoles, chuletas, arroz con pollo. They taught me how to dance salsa and Lord have mercy, they introduced me to the Elote man. Unfortunately, Mr. Gonzalez 
who was merely a tenant in that crowded house of undocumented immigrants <clears throat> did not survive. Nevertheless, he was the key to my enviable relationship with the Latinx community, which has lasted to this very day. I thought back to the day I first saw the children in the room, beautiful little children, totally quiet, quiet, Cayete, symbols of our compromised immigration system. <clears throat> to make a noise, even the smallest sound could cause their demise, their deportation. So they remain silent like beautiful flowers beautiful flowers which blossomed in my life. Silencio. <clears throat> Silence. The flowers are sleeping. If they see you crying, they will die. Silencio. Que están durmiendo los nardos y las azucenas. No quiero que sepan mis penas porque. Si me ven llorando, morirán. This story was produced by Emma Kester and Ali Drum, curated by Jim Lupo, and directed by Devin Christer. Music and sound design was by Jeff Schaller, with live recording engineered by Young Woo. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the Arts Work Fund, Walter Foundation, MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamick, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Hannah and George Stowe, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.